0: They want to hear the story. They want to hear the story? Yeah. Uh, They want to hear Rick's story. Mm -hmm. The one from August. Yeah. When the theme was greed. Yeah. I got to tell you something. When I was listening to this or re-listening to this a few minutes ago, Mm -hmm. Brendan's intro included a whole bunch of period jokes. <laughs> what? Yeah, does, he, t- he told period jokes.
1: How does that relate to the greed? I'll have to re-listen to this once it goes up on the site.
0: But, I know uh, sometimes I like to record. I like to produce his intros, mm-hmm. and th- this was one I didn't feel very comfortable.
1: You should have just like edited it out so that he just goes. So that's a period. And then, anyways, <laughs> here's Rick Krupnik <laughs> That's a pretty good. Uh, pretty well, good what, what he said
0: was, "Is that joke has wings?" That was one of them. Oh, like a maxi pad. Right. <laughs> Anyway, so welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling show at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. I like how you can turn your NPR voice on just like that. (laughs) I'm Deb Markham. I'm the producer of the show.
1: And I'm James Roach. I sit with her in the booth during the show.
0: And Brendan Kennedy is our host. During the show, mm-hmm. and that's right. This is a live show that we record, not a podcast that you do in somebody's home. I mean, maybe this intro is in the home, but not not I the rest it. of it. These are real people on a real stage, feeling vulnerable most of the time. I mean, Rick's done it so many times. I don't know if he feels scared anymore. We no. should
1: have, you know, Rick's. I I love working with Rick at the Push. Um, I love seeing him go up there and do stories. He always tells. Excellent stories. He's just a, he's a great performer, and he feels very natural up there. And if you're ever by the push and you see Rick, say hi. Just I, that makes it sound like he's lonely or something. <laughs> he's not. He's a lovely man. He's just he's he's just great to talk to. you Very smart, very kind. Very and he's funny. usually
0: like the one who's the best dressed, wearing yes. a vest and nice shoes. Him and Ryan McIntyre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Ryan doesn't hang out at the push as much. Anyway, so right now we're going through a COVID pandemic, so. Um, COVID-19, so I'm yeah. doing this intro extra wrong, long, and I've invited you here because, well, I figured, what the heck, people are stuck at home, they have to listen to this.
1: Yeah, if you're listening to this in the future, in the far future, um, well, one, I'm glad we made it, and uh, <laughs> two, that just gives you a little context for where we are in this point in time. Yeah, and what we're what we're about to ask for you too, or ask from you.
0: Yep, yeah, it's 2020, and yeah. the Push Comedy Theater is closed right now. Um, they're not having shows. Everybody's doing stuff online. Um, I think you just live streamed uh, an improv show.
1: Yeah, we just did a um, uh, Brian Garrity and uh, Matt Cole from the Push Comedy Theater got a got a group of us together, and we just did a little Herald night that we live streamed. So that was that uh, was a lot of fun. Yeah, they're doing shows like that every weekend. Mm-hmm. So they're still going strong, but they could use some help. So if you can, please go to push dot com and right there on the home page. If you if you are able to um, please consider buying a gift certificate for a future show, future concessions, whatever, or if you, you know, are able to? You can just make a donation up there. We'd really, really appreciate it, so we can keep bringing, uh, you know, great shows and content like Tell Me More Live to you, and uh, you know, the Murder Mystery Show, Tales from the Campfire. Uh, there's this great group called Monocle. You really should come. I out wonder and see why it it's so great,
0: James. <laughs> uh, they're just
1: really talented.
0: All of uh, them, including you.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're pretty good. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: you know, we got there's Girl Prov, There's just a, a ton of fantastic shows
0: oh and they have classes too they have classes so if you've ever wanted to be on stage and just spout things off the top of your head and think that you're funny well if you think you're funny it's probably not a good thing to go (laughs) or should you should you think you're funny yeah (laughs) i think so
1: you know at least a little bit you don't want to i don't know i mean it works different for different people i guess it's You'll learn a lot about uh, just, I want to say theater. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. More theater than comedy, huh? You know, yeah, it's very dramatic. No, um, <laughs> it is, yeah, I think it, it, you know, come out and just be funny. You'll, you'll meet some great people, have a, lot of, have
0: a lot of fun, have a few laughs. It's a good time. Anyway, I think we've bored everybody enough with our talk about the theater and about where we are right now in 2020. I hope if you're listening to this in the future that it's much Much more fun and beautiful. In this recording, you'll hear Rick Kropnick telling a story, or sharing his story, about greed. Awesome.
2: So, with that being said, your first storyteller that I'm going to be bringing up tonight is a a much classier gentleman. He would have never said any of those terrible things I just did five minutes ago. Uh, he's a regular here at The Push. You guys see him here all the time on Saturday nights. He's a regular on the our Telling You More Storytelling Show. Give it up, ladies and gentlemen, for Rick Krupnik.
3: I love you, too. So, our subject tonight is Greed. And I want to start my story by asking everybody a question. And that question is, how much is enough? How much is enough? How much ice cream is enough? How many pairs of shoes are enough? How many fur coats or cars or boats or homes are enough? How much money is enough? How much money do you really want to have in your life? I mean, everybody wants $20 million, but how much is enough? Greed plays such a a role in how you respond to this question. And it's something, I've worked as a consultant uh, off and on for a number of years. And one of the things I always ask my clients is, how much is enough? What are you looking for? What do you need to have? And there's a difference between a need and a want. So really, how much is enough? I'm going to tell you a couple stories about greed. Uh, Both of them involve me working for other people and what what their vision of the world was, if you will. First story, I guess there's a little background on that story, is that I owned my own business when I was 21 years old. Um, I got married, uh, was able to get some money together, and started a travel agency, which became a second travel agency, which became a wholesale tour company, which became a travel school. And I was doing well. One of the fascinating things, though, was... I never really thought at that point in time, as 21, 22, 24 years old, it really wasn't about greed, it was about building something. What I discovered when I was about 27 years old was that that industry was dying. Uh, There was a lot of laws that came into play that were going to change how we were able to do business. And so I sold that business, all of my businesses except the consulting company which I didn't mention, I don't think, but I did consulting as well, mostly in the travel industry. Well, when I sold my company, I did well with the sale, and now what's the next phase of my life? And here's where the greed question comes in. I had two choices. Choice number one was to go and uh, work for a company called Kuoni Tours, Uh, They were a big tour company dealing with kids. In fact, they're still in business today. They dealt with student travel all over the world. I was uh, interviewed and was offered the position to be their uh, district manager for Los Angeles, and I was about 27 years old at the time. The money was going to be good. I was going to get a car, and that was the safe and probably the more intelligent thing that I should do. I had uh, a son and a baby on the way. The second choice I had was offered to us by, and I'm going to use air quotes, friends. These people were extraordinarily wealthy. They were in their mid-30s. My wife knew, them, knew the wife from France. The, uh, the husband was a lawyer. He was a uh, part owner in a bank, and both of them came from a significant amount of money. And they wanted us to open retail stores for them to sell their line of wholesale clothing. And they offered us a deal that was so one-sided in their favor uh, that my father, my attorney, anybody who had half a brain told me, don't do this. In fact, my attorney went so far as to actually send me a letter stating that he did not recommend this deal. But they were our friends. They like us. Well, the deal was going to be we were going to build the stores. They were going to provide us with merchandise. We build the store. And, of course, I have a budget. But if you've ever built anything, you don't stay on budget. A bunch of surprises came, and what was going to be about a $35,000 build-out turns out to be almost a $65,000 build-out. Now, pretty much the money I've made from the sale of the travel agency and the other businesses is starting to flitter away. But we got it open. Now, keep in mind, my wife is the one who has the fashion sense. She has a very successful costume jewelry business right now, and she was going to be the one that was going to run the business, except she couldn't because she was a brand new mom, and yours truly was out selling women's clothes in a store. We hired good salespeople, but the problem we had was these folks, who we thought were our friends, really used our store as a dumping ground for everything they couldn't sell. That meant returns, that meant uh, items that were uh, damaged. What we got in our store was worthless to us. Now, I'm faced with a huge problem at this point in time because I've got a lot of money tied into a store and merchandise that nobody wants to buy. I now have to go out and borrow more money so that I can buy merchandise so that we can try to make some money. It's a failure. Everything that we're doing is not working. Uh, We don't have enough money to keep this business running properly. And I keep going to our partners, our friends, and say to them, look, uh, you know, we need some help here. You guys need to either come up with merchandise that's good or you need to at least come up with half the cost of the store. Well, they agreed. We should do something. And uh, the husband invited me into his law office one day and sat down with me and said, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you half of what you've put in. Now, by this time, by the way, I'm at about $130,000. I've Borrowed this money using my house as collateral, and of course I borrowed the money based on his suggestion from his bank. Not something, by the way, as you'll find out in a second, that's particularly legal the way it was structured. Well, the long and the short of it is, he offered us $65,000. We didn't think it was enough. We didn't think it was fair. He went back, thought about it, and offered us 50000 Went back and thought about it again and very generously offered us $35,000. And I began to see a pattern here. And when I was a kid, I had a a bit of a temper. And I said to my wife, I'm done. It was affecting us physically. And by the way, the one thing I'm very lucky with, I have a wonderful wife. It never affected the relationship. But when you're going through what amounts to a business hell, It affects everything. You're not sleeping at night. Everything's not going well. So I had had enough and I finally said, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're out. And I went to his law office and I carried with me two big boxes of basically all the paperwork that we had. I wasn't stupid. I kept copies of everything. But I basically kept everything in in boxes and I ended up walking into his law office with those boxes. And, of course, it's almost like a movie. You know, the the secretary, you can't go in there, sir. And, you know, I said, well, yeah, watch me. And I barge in, and he's got a customer or a client sitting in there. And I just looked at the guy, and I said, you, out. And he looks at me like, what? I'm not leaving. And the other guy said, Rick, Rick, slow down, slow down, slow down. Uh, we'll, We'll talk. I said, No you can either leave or he's going to witness, you would be very embarrassed. The guy stayed for about three minutes. I took both boxes, dumped them on his desk, papers everywhere. And I said, I quit. See, one of the things that you can deal with bullies and people like that is you just basically have to say you can't control me anymore. And so through their greed, and basically my own greed, because if I thought about it, and I did for a long time, Why did I choose the business I knew nothing about versus the one that I was an expert in? The answer was personal greed. I didn't want to work for somebody else. I thought I would make more money this way. It was going to be nice to be able to say it's my business. All the things that were wrong, I did for the wrong reason. So it took me a while to recover from that. Uh, Luckily, the bank realized later on what had happened. And by the way, I'm a huge believer in karma. And this guy got his. Him and his wife both got theirs. Um, The bank found out that the way he had structured the loan with me, because I told them, not realizing it was illegal at the time, he was a beneficiary of any money I would have made. You can't legally in the banking business do that, at least you couldn't at the time, without notifying the bank itself and they would have to approve that type of a loan. So he got booted out of his bank. He was then caught doing something very illegal with a real estate transaction and he was booted out of his office and he and his wife separated. And the... I guess how people can't really change. You think they can but sometimes they really can't. Years later I just happened to Google search him just because I was bored and found out he had been uh, sued and booted out of a company for cheating them out of about $100 million. Yeah. So that was my first experience with business. Now, it takes me time. I've got to recover. What do I do? I go back to what I know. I go back to the travel consulting and I start to build it back up again. And a real good friend of mine says, hey, I've got a potential client for you. This guy wants to get into the golf tourism business and he's looking for a consultant. Will you be willing to talk to him? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure I will. I go in there, he's a pleasant looking guy, but he's kind of weird looking in a sense because he has a very flat head and then a crown that sticks out. And he comes to tell me that he had... Uh, a, a swimming pool uh, filter had blown up and had literally hit him in the head. And he, this is how he made $900,000 to start his businesses. Okay? Yeah. So the business that he was in, and he wanted to expand. He was in everything, I mean, but he wanted to expand into the travel business. His main business was something called factoring, if you don't know what factoring is, it is literally buying debt at a discount. So if uh, Brendan was a clothing manufacturer and uh, Taylor was the store who had bought the clothes from Brendan, she might be given 30 or 60 days to pay. Well, if Brendan wants his money sooner, he would come to a guy like me, the, uh, the guy who's doing the, uh, the advance payment, if you will, the loan, and I would buy that paper at a discount. If she owed him $1,000, I would give him 800 and I would then go out and now build Taylor's company for the 1000 That's roughly how factoring works. And he did do that for quite a while, until he didn't. He had a team of individuals who raised money for him to go out to people like everybody sitting in this room and say... If you will invest your money with my factoring company, I will uh, pay you a 12 percent return on your money. I'm charging 20. I'm I'm going to charge. You're going to get basically, you know, 12 percent of the 20 I'm charging. Well, it turned out he wasn't factoring. He was running a Ponzi scheme, and I found out. Because my little golf tour company was very successful and I had a group of about, I think it was maybe 70 or 80 golfers that were going to uh, Jamaica for a golf tournament that we had set up. And by the way, we had literally become, we were the official golf tour company for Carnival Cruises. So we really built this company up in a relatively short period of time. I get a phone call from the manager of that hotel and says to me, Rick, we got a problem. So what's the problem? said, well, you know, your group's two weeks out, we didn't get final payment. That's not possible. I said, I approved that payment to go out. Now, there is definitely some kind of a higher being up there because although I had the right to sign checks, I never signed one check for this company. He did all the signing. And that check never went out. Why? Because all of a sudden... People realized that they wanted their money. The stock market had crashed. They needed their money. He had a 45 day call. You got to wait 45 days to get your money. And he was taking the money from all the businesses, including mine, to pay people their money back. Well, I went over to him and I confronted him with it. And he admitted that he was having problems. And I, I said to him, Well, you're going to drag my name through the mud. And by the way, let me go back just a second before I tell you that. This man, this is where greed comes in. He bought five different high-end luxury cars. Um, Rolls Royces, Maseratis, uh, Bentleys, all these things using other people's money. He built this magnificent home using stolen money. He would dine at the best restaurants on other people's money all greed just flat out greed and by the way unknowingly I was benefiting from that greed well I went back and I I told them we got to pay this bill I'm not going to let you kill my reputation and he said to me well I don't have the money I said you have an American Express platinum card don't you he said yeah I said use that I don't care what you do but you're not going to drag me through the mud with you. Well, he did use that. He paid it. The group went, two days later, I quit. And by the way, my wife was working as a sales rep for our company. So we had two salaries with one company, and both of us quit because we could not work for somebody this unethical. And I guess our timing was pretty good because two days later, the FBI came and raided his offices. And... This guy wasn't as bad as my first partner. Uh, this guy only stole $27 million. There is, again, karma. Uh, he, he was imprisoned. Uh, they took all of his assets. Most people got very little back. I had family who lost money, my parents who invested in, uh, with him. My dad actually, at one time, was going out and getting clients for him because he was paying. He was doing everything like any greedy person who runs a Ponzi scheme. It works until it doesn't. So now I'm back to square one again. What am I going to do? We've got two salaries that are gone instantly. I've got two children. I have a mortgage. And this is where I, I always say to people, when you say to me you can't do something, I say, no, you choose not to do something because I had to work three jobs, including one of them getting paid 75 cents per name to get people to sign petitions. So I went from being an executive to being humbled. I actually, in retrospect, both my wife and I believe that these two experiences made us the people we were today, is bad and horrible as they were, they made us appreciate and be able to answer that question, how much is enough? Because all of a sudden, all the things we thought we could not live with, we found we could live without them. We found that uh, it was much more important, as it always was for us, to have family and be with family than to go out to fancy restaurants. And so we didn't buy all the clothes. We didn't do a lot of things. Well, there's a happy ending to this story. Uh, Of course, I go back to the consulting business again because that's what I do. And I get a couple of clients, including the government of Egypt, uh, as for travel. And then, literally an angel comes. I have a cousin here who owned a company called First Hospital Corporation. Uh, He's a psychiatrist by trade, and um, he came to Los Angeles Nobody had said anything to him about this, uh, but he said, Rick, I, um, I'm going to want to do some possible business in uh, Europe, and I know you have, trained, you have uh, abilities and experience in European business. Uh, I'd like you and Isabel to come out to uh, Virginia sometime. And he we said, well, sure, I'd be interested. Now, by that time, by the way, I was done with LA. Okay, all this took place in Los Angeles. I was done. Done with the traffic, done with the duplicity, done with the—it's not who you are, but what, what clothes are you wearing? What car are you driving? Uh, where do you live? All of that. So I was ready to go, and we said, "Well, maybe you know we'll wait. If he doesn't call us by Christmas, by the way, this was Mother's Day. If he doesn't call us by Christmas, we will, uh, will you know, we'll uh, we'll call him." Maybe in December. You know, but we'll give him a call. Not three weeks later, he calls and says, okay, I want you guys to come out. And we did. We came out on the on 14th of July. I know that it was Bastille Day. Not a holiday we celebrate in our home, but I just remember it was Bastille Day. Um, and we came to Virginia. And this is where the opposite of greed comes in. The opposite of greed is generosity. He was very generous in giving me the opportunity. He was also very clear that it, if this was his business and if it didn't work, he would let us go anywhere else in the country we wanted to go and he'd pay for the mood, move. But if, we didn't, if it didn't work out, no hard feelings. But what he did for me was give me a career. And he gave me the best mentors that I could ever hope for. I had guys who had been in the hospital business for 15, 20 years who took me under their wing and taught me how to survive in a corporate environment, great management skills, Uh, I got opportunities to run psych hospitals, I ran large groups, I was CEOs of a couple of their divisions, and it was really based on their generosity. So the opposite of, of greed is generosity, which is why I try to live my life with the thing that I I impart to people, and that is paying things forward. We were in terrible spots, and each time somebody stepped up, even if it was the wrong somebody that stepped up, to get us out of our jam. When this guy uh, who ran the Ponzi scheme uh, hired me, he paid a good part of my debt that I owed by buying my consulting business. Okay, so it was, is, I always had mixed feelings about the guy. Yeah, he stole money, and, but the selfish, I guess you'd call it greedy side of me, always still had a soft spot for the guy because he got us out of a jam. So that's why I always say to folks, you know, we all struggle in life We all have moments where things don't go the way we want them to go. And yet, somehow, if we keep what's important in mind, then we end up uh, being better human beings and eventually things turn around. So I do always say to folks, pay things forward whenever you can. So I'll, I'll end this tonight by asking the very same question that I started the conversation with. How much is enough? Thank you. Thanks
0: for listening to Tell Me More Live. If you like to tell a story like this one, or just enjoy a show, come out to the Push Comedy Theater on the third Sunday of the month, or, you know, you can listen to more recordings at www.tellmemorelive.org. Do people still say www?
1: Just... I guess, to be specific. Specific.
0: <laughs> Pacific. Yeah. Uh, now it's stream of conscious. Anyway, have a great night or day or whatever it is. Bye.
1: Bye-bye.
2: And speaking of, of tampons, like... I think there's, there's something about that. Like the first guy who ever thought to start making tampons commercially, like that was a guy who understood the American dream. Like if you just have that one idea and you work hard at it, you can have anything you want. Like, like that guy. Talk about a rags to riches story, you know? Like personally, personally, I don't know if I need that kind of blood money though. And I I hear some groans, but I I think that that joke has wings. Period.